Well, here we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> no denying it. No, no, not at all. Well, all of the people who said we weren't here, we have shut them down. <laughs> uh, welcome into another episode of Totem Talks. This is season five, episode fourteen, and uh, here we are hanging out with y'all today. Uh, Great times, very. <clears> and uh, we are actually hanging out with people because we are uh, we are officially getting back to our schedule of. Live recording. Uh, this is a Thursday. We've done it. And, uh, yeah, if, well, you say that right as you're like, well, maybe next week we won't be live on Thursday. Well, anymore, next week right? we might not be live on Thursday. But <laughs> okay. listen, things happen in life. They be what they be. And sometimes you just got to go with the flow. I hear you. I might be getting busy Wednesdays and Thursdays, honestly. it's, it's I a, don't need to hear about your personal life. Thank you very much. <laughs> Nick, it is not that kind of podcast. <laughs> How dare you? Well, you're the one who's putting that information out there. How dare you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, but, yeah, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Totem Talks. Here hanging out with you uh, all the way five seasons deep. If you are new to Totem Talks, I know I haven't done this in a while, but if you're new to Totem Talks, we are a music podcast, and uh, it is our job, our duty, appointed to us by the powers that be. That's right. To Zenu find himself. The greatest musical act of all time. And that is what we're doing. We are going one at a time, three at a time, three at a time. That makes more sense. Three at a time, Three at a time. Um, and we are breaking them down historically. We are comparing, contrasting. We're breaking having, them down emotionally. Yes. Well, we are breaking ourselves <laughs> down emotionally sometimes. That's true. Depending on the artists we cover. That is, that is factual. Um, and then we are grading them on our scale, which you will be... Uh, alerted to very shortly as we go through our first artist. And at the end of the episode, we have an episode winner. At the end of the season, we have season winners and losers, and uh, we keep them all on on a big chart, and we have the overall winners and losers. And uh, in reality, more often than not, we are the losers. (laughs) We are always the losers, no matter what. (laughs) Uh, Either we're sad we had to listen to it, or it was so good that we feel bad about ourselves. There's no in-between. That's true. As musicians, there are some when I'm just like, oh, you're just a whole other level of human. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had some of those moments this week, but we'll get there. Yeah, that's that makes <laughs> sense. I would expect that from you uh, this week, yeah. honestly. Of course. Uh, but, Nick, why don't you just, uh, why don't you let the people know oh, I would love who to. we're covering this week. Uh, we're starting things off with Ani DeFranco. We are moving on to Question Mark and the Mysterians. And then we are closing things out with Dream Theater. Yeah, so quite a list uh, this week. Quite a list. Very different artists. I felt great that I knew the name of two of the three of them. That's pretty good. Yeah, I was like, oh, going into this, I know two of them. Uh, Musically? I knew all three of them. Yeah, I question mark in the Mysterians, let's be honest. What? We'll discuss. One hit wonder from the... We'll discuss. You know who they are. Um, But I think without any further ado... I'm just going to jump right into Ani DeFranco. Please. Uh, So Ani DeFranco is an American singer-songwriter who has been active since 1989 to the present day. And that's uh, that's pretty much it. She's she's been around for a while. She's uh, 
classified anywhere from folk rock to alt rock for influences from many different genres mm-hmm. she pulls from. She's released all of her albums through her own record label, Righteous Babe Records. Right, right. And uh, we covered three albums from Ani DeFranco. Uh, we started with, and let's get it out of the way, we're happy here. It's a good episode. The eponymous mm-hmm. debut, Ani DeFranco. Yes. Uh, from 1990, we followed that up with Evolve from 2003. And then we we're closing it out with Revolutionary Love from 2021. Yes. So, Nick, why don't you get us started, man? Sure. I would love to. So, to be clear, like, I have a little bit of background in Ani's work, um, but I wasn't familiar with these albums in particular. Um, We'll probably talk at some point later on in the season about her album that I knew, which is Not a Pretty Girl, which is often considered her most acclaimed record. Um, But this record was definitely a lot of what I expected. Um, it's very folky type music, but there's also that alternative bend to it. It's almost, her approach almost reminds me of like halfway between Joni Mitchell and Alanis Morissette. I was, I was Um, waiting for you to say she sounds a lot like Alanis Morissette. Yeah. It's crazy. Definitely. Although she was obviously doing this style before Alanis jumped into Oh, yeah. She was I'd doing it during she was Alanis's probably... dance pop phase. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but And I, I'll let you talk about it because it's, it's your uh, speciality here. There's a major emphasis on the lyrical content throughout this record, including like a spoken word piece, which is you know not uncommon through a lot of her other albums and work as well. Uh, it's definitely a good listen. Sometimes a challenging listen, like as in in a good way. I mean that, like you are challenged by the things that she has to say, like to try to, to parse apart all of the messages and the songs. Um, and also, you get the the idea that she is uh, creatively approaching songwriting. You're not going to get like three and four chord songs that are repetitive from an artist like Ani. She is uh, very creative with her instrument and different tunings, as well as uh, chord progressions and creating melodies, which is where the Joni Mitchell um, comparison comes from me because she's uh, got a very interesting nose for finding uh, the the melodic line you don't necessarily expect. And that's what I've got. Okay. <clears throat> so one big thing for this album for me is it is fascinating that she catches your ear so often with just an acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. Because it's just an acoustic album. It's her. Um, Now, she's very kind of known for her, like, kind of staccato stylings and and a lot of her alternative tunings, which Nick had already mentioned. So all of the instrumentation, the musicality part of it, uh, is very interesting because I think it's what separates this from being just a standard folk album musically. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, like guy in a guitar, gal in a guitar, singer songwriter stuff. It's quite frankly dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. It's yeah. pri- I mean, it could even be the most common style sure, of right, music right. released. Everywhere there's somebody who's like, okay, I'm gonna grab my guitar and perform. Mm-hmm. What really sets Ani apart are the lyrics and music. Yeah, uh, the music is interesting. It's something that I would say like the lay person. Maybe wouldn't pick up on, but maybe would just be interested and it sounds pleasant. Uh, yeah. But somebody with a little more like, you know, teeth in the music 
would really start to get that there's like a different tuning or alternative mm-hmm. stylings or a different chord progression than you're used to. Yeah. Uh, and then lyrically, she's a full-blown folk artist. Oh, yeah. In terms of it is vehemently politically accurate <clears throat> and active, and she is getting her message across in a very strong way, and almost to the point where, I mean, I listened through the entire album once, and I think realistically I would probably need two or three listens I totally agree to with that. get the depth of what she's talking yeah. about in every song. I know you kind of, you mm-hmm. mentioned that a little bit, but <clears throat> there are a lot of messages and musings that there's a deeper meaning underneath it that I can kind of sense every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even on the surface, she is not pulling her bunches. Uh, similar to last week, we talked about uh, Gary Clark Jr. And in his album, This Land, where he wasn't pulling any punches mm-hmm. and was hitting hard, she's doing the same thing, although with she's incorporating it more into a, I guess, like a more popularized style of folk. Like folk artists, this is kind of what folk artists do. So she's definitely doing that. And I know she, at one point or another, had pointed to Pete Seeger um, as as an an inspiration for her. Yeah. And I can kind of get that because I feel like she writes with a little more depth than Pete Seeger. Like a little more metaphorical depth. Pete Seeger was a very kind of on-the-nose writer as as, as we experienced him. But she definitely does a really good job of being kind of on the nose, but you can tell there's more under the surface. Yeah. All, overall, um, a very enjoyable album. Um, vocally, I did. We mentioned the Alanis Morissette connection. I feel like she doesn't care what she sounds like. That's yeah. Well, I will say this is the album. And I'm sure you recognize it too. On this first album, she was still singing from her throat yeah. instead of her diaphragm a lot. I think that changes as she goes on, but here you can hear the singing from the throat very frequently yes and it sounds it, i like guess Kermit it sounds yeah it sounds a little strained <laughs> it sounds a little strained at times and it sounds like a little talky um you can really hear how talky her singing sounds because she incorporates a spoken word piece mm-hmm. and it just sounds the same almost yeah right um but it does improve, and I'll I'll talk mm-hmm. about it improving as I go into Evolve, uh, which, I mean, has evolved. Uh, yeah. I, I, pardon the pun, but we, we've... Appropriate. We've gone from, you know, girl and a guitar to full instrumentation and orchestration at times, a ton of, like, horns being used, woodwinds being used, like, orchestral pieces, um, orchestral instruments being used. Uh, all with that same flair of uh, folk, lyric, politicism, activism. Uh, and then you're coupling that with the fact that this is now, what, 13 years later? Her voice right. has matured. She's, I think she was like 20. That sounds about she right. She was about 20 years old, I think, when the first album came out. I'll confirm for you. Yes, she you was go. 20 uh, when the okay, first album came was. out. So she's now in her early 30s. And you can hear the depth and richness in her voice. It's, she's she's still not like it's hard to explain. She's not like a powerhouse vocalist. I know I say that a lot. Hmm. She's not like a powerhouse vocalist with like this crazy overall range, but she's very very pleasant sounding, and you can hear a richness in her tone that she works well within. So I think there's all three facets have kind of stepped up a little bit. I think lyrically right. she stepped up a little bit. 
just in terms of she was a really good writer at 20. She's still a really good writer, but her problems are more mature now. And that's right. kind of a thing. That's So that's an important upgrade. Vocally, she's grown uh as we as i've just discussed i won't have to mention it again and then musically she's grown because she's incorporating a ton of more instruments and still using them to create different tunings and progressions and instrumentations and interesting things musically so there's kind of something for everyone here i think mm-hmm. there's something for kind of anybody who wants to listen to listen yeah uh, I totally agree. I think there's a lot to like here. Uh, I love the evolution in her songwriting style. Uh, I love that this album pulls so heavily from jazz and also funk. Um, sure. There's, yeah, there's a lot there. there uh, sometimes it even, it's very reminiscent of like something that the Dave Matthews Band might write in terms of uh, the music that's being written. So all super... Um, good things to be compared to for me uh, great <laughs> yeah styles to delve into anybody who knows nick yeah um and i actually so i was listening to this like halfway um at home and then halfway on a car ride later on so my phone started repeating the album from the beginning and i think like you mentioned i got a second <laughs> listen of the first half of this record yeah uh and it definitely improves with multiple not that i didn't really like it originally too um but the the multiple listens helps to solidify some things musically, helps to, yeah. to really enhance the enjoyment of the record. And I'll just move right into Revolutionary Love, which again sees us uh, with a really diverse uh, and interesting selection of songs. The songwriting is still really, really good, um, super creative, and there is still some of that jazz funk Um sort of a similar approach has evolved but not as much and it's not like exactly the same it's not like this is an artist who hasn't grown over those 18 years it's an artist who still you know dabbles in all these different areas um musically again everything was really enjoyable lyrically again uh super strong messages (coughs) and i have really nothing negative to say i just felt like we had three albums that were all uh different listens that each one was super creative and uh you know enticing on its own like each album kind of warranted more listens more like wow okay this is truly an artist uh yes and i don't have too much to say other than that i think if we're going to continue the alanis morissette comparison uh i think this is where it really starts to separate obviously we throw out Alanis's first two albums, her dance pop. Craziness. Yeah, right. No, no, no. Don't uh, worry about that. So we would start from Jagged, and I think, right, you know, they line up really well. Like, there's a strong message in Jagged Little Pill. You know, I think by Jagged Little Pill, like in terms of those time periods, Alanis was probably the stronger singer overall. Sure, uh, but the tone. Ani is-, is the more interesting musician now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and that's that's kind of yeah. the comparison. Uh, the tone yeah. is similar, but I think the range is different, and I think Alanis has a stronger yeah. range. But musically, yeah, Ani DeFranco is definitely a more interesting listen all the way through, <clears throat> which is in, which is fascinating to me because with folk, a lot of times it's simple, and I think that's why she yeah. really transcends the folk genre a little bit because for sure, a lot of times it gets a little too simple. As you're yeah. listening through it, and you can only listen to the lyrics. And right. 
<clears throat> while most of the time the lyrics are great, and in Ani DeFranco's case, it's no exception, it can be a little, a little bit of a letdown. The wind can get let out of the sails by our third album through, where we're just like, all right, I wish there was a little bit of a different soundtrack to these poems and these speeches you're giving For sure. me. Uh, and she does a great yeah. job of that. She keeps you engaged. It's something yeah. that I think she's worked on clearly on how to be engaging with her messages. Right. And I think and not just <clears throat> engaging, but I, I should say I want to make it clear, like not just interesting, but also complex. Like yeah. definitely layers of complexity to what's happening. Sure. I can I can understand that. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed listening to her all the way through. I think that there wasn't any kind of a degradation. In fact, if you were to tell me the the gap of time between evolve and revolutionary love, I almost wouldn't believe you in terms of the way she sounds. Now, there's yeah. definitely a maturation of lyric, and she's as she's going, she's just becoming a more kind of punchy in the gut, strong willed lyricist, mm -hmm. which is very good. <laughs> I, I, it's yeah. kind of such a, like it's a very a very refreshing thing uh, yeah. to get to get lyrics that are constantly so pointed and poignant. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but vocally, I mean, thirty to fifty sounds pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, which and is which very is good. rare, especially. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, I think, generally speaking, women tend to have the longer career uh, vocally. But you can hear their voices maturing a little earlier sometimes. Mm. And I think that she is just pushing back the clock in a good way. Yeah. All right. Well, let's grade her. Um, and look, I mean, we've said it countless times. Folk artists are not going to necessarily have the strongest baseline here. Right. But in the folk community, I mean, one, she does run her own record label uh, where she works with a lot of other artists. She's been a, uh, like super involved in activism politically her entire career yeah um, and also she's constantly throughout her career been nominated for and won a slew of different awards from you know a bunch of grammy nominations and at least one win to like the southern center for human rights uh to the gibson guitar awards to planned parenthood awards like her her musical influences kind of given her a lot of different pathways to small pockets of fame. Yeah, absolutely. If that makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. So I don't know what that means in terms of a number to you. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. It's not high. We're under a one. No. Let's be clear. Uh, we might be closer to like a point five. You think it's that low? I mean, it's not a one. I mean, I've I've been very aware of her name. I I mean, I know she doesn't necessarily have the hit power, but she's definitely like super involved in the world. She's very active, and I will yeah. I will definitely give you that. I mean, I the, the highest I'd be willing to go is like a point seven or a point eight, though. I just think I the like average layperson would not have necessarily heard of her. Okay, I would definitely like to get at least that point seven or point eight. Let's give her the point eight. Okay, let's do that. Breath of work. Uh, so the good news is that she is starting from 22 albums. Yes. The bad news is that she is going to lose some points for the sales, which are which, not where yeah. we would like to, to see them. <laughs> um, which is common for independent releases. And that's folks, kind of so the, it's yeah. like the worst of both worlds. 
So she's starting at a 6.4 for 22 releases, and then she's going down to, I'd say, a 5.8, 5.9 for, for lack of sales. Yeah, um, that's that's pretty accurate. And if she's at a 5.8, I'll take her back to a 6 with my quality points. Okay, so you'll give her a point two. See, you're putting me in a tough position here, Nick, because I okay, think a I'm 6 sorry. is a my good apologies. spot for her. So why don't we both but give her a But also you want to give her points? Okay. Let's do that. I like six that. Six it is. Instrumental talent, I think we've got another good score. I think while vocally she's not really blowing anyone out of the water, everything that we heard on her records instrumentally was unique and interesting, if not fairly complex all the time. Yeah, and to be clear, she's an above-average vocalist. Oh, yeah, she's definitely not bad. She's not bad at all. Um, yeah, like vocally so I, I mean, she's still I'm above a five. I mean, I'm probably still on my way upward from the six that we just left. Uh, okay. Because I think that the playing on the records is always really well done. So I would be in the mid sixes here. In the mid sixes. Okay. I could I could see that working. Okay, good. Excellent. I could We've see I could see like a six yeah, six five works. Six five it is. Pat, I'm gonna be honest with you. For songwriting, I'm still on my way up. And so am I. I heard so like three very different well, albums pulling from yeah. several different influences. Uh, I, each song total. was super unique and interesting. There weren't really like down songs either. I just, everything felt like a new experience. Um, and the other thing is she has a really good way, again, with a Joni Mitchell comparison, of keeping you guessing as to what's going to happen. Sure. But always having it end in a pleasant way. Like you're never going to just guess how the melody line in any of these songs is going to go. Right. But they're going to find a way to resolve in a super, super interesting way too. So I'm in the I, sevens, honestly. Okay. I might not be all the way up in the sevens. I, I like I like her a lot, but I don't know if I'm all the way there personally. Okay. Uh I mean I was thinking more like like a six, eight, six, nine. I I, I like it I a lot. I just think there. that yeah. It's I not quite there nine. for me. Okay. But is it for poetic talent? Yeah, and that's this is why it's not that high, because this is this is a clearly a higher score, and I just... It's the highest score of the day. I mean, I think she just continues to get better and better with each category. Yeah, and I think that she gets extremely high marks lyrically for uh, a similar thing to what we gave Phil Oaks, mm -hmm. which is like she's saying one thing to your face and another thing behind your back, mm -hmm. but in the same song, Yeah, which is just very interesting to me. Uh, I would be honestly really comfortable giving her anywhere from like a seven eight to an eight five. Those that's my range. How about an eight three? Because I I agree with you completely. I love it. And then X Factor. I mentioned a lot of different awards and stuff uh, and things that she's been involved with. I don't know um, if any of that means anything to you. Yeah. She's. I mean, so I'll just real. Run through them real quick. Run through some stuff because I have something, but you can run through this stuff. Okay, so she's won a Grammy. She's won the the Planned Parenthood Maggie Award for Media Excellence. She has won the Gay and Lesbian American Music Awards. She has won the Gibson Guitar Award for Best Acoustic Artist um, in the Female category. She has won um, the National Organization of Women's Women of Courage Award. She has won the Woody Guthrie Award. Um, the Outstanding Achievement for Global Activism Award, and the John Lennon Real Love Award. Sure, sure. So these are all things. A lot of really great stuff. Some some, some little anecdotes for me. Sure. One, what I found really interesting about 
uh, Ani is so when she was in her 20s, she came out as bisexual. Right. And she has since kind of stated that one, she prefers the term queer because bisexual always sounds very medical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like something you do to a frog in ninth grade science or something, <laughs> which is which was just funny. Yeah. And then uh, she's gone on to state that like she skews much further, like she skews much more hetero, as in mm-hmm. she's she's more into to males. And right. <laughs> her quote was, um, which is unfortunate. She said, "I'm pretty effing hetero," which is unfortunate for me because many of my deepest connections are with women. But no, I just like what's in boys' pants better. (laughs) So I just, I really find it interesting with her that the nonchalance with which she has, you know, stated her sexuality, been very open about it, talked about it, discussed it, kind of, you know, acknowledges that it's not a, it's not a linear scale. It's a sliding scale of like how you feel at the time. And Mm -hmm. like she has updated her, her orientation publicly as the definitions have gotten more finessed Hmm. so like i find that very interesting and very refreshing because i think more often than not you you are looking for someone to say like i'm gay i'm bi i'm and it's like hey anybody's anything at any time and like it's a huge sliding scale to me and so i i like that she even as early as in her 20s in the early 90s was acknowledging that uh, and then well, the the real thing, the real reason she deserves a full five points, oh, okay, is Babeville. So Babeville is the the home of Righteous Babe Records. Okay, and that makes sense. It is this old abandoned 19th century church that in okay. 1999 Ani DeFranco started the process of buying it, and then by 2006 okay. it was converted to like a full concert venue, a 1,200-seat concert hall that also houses the label inside this old abandoned, like, gothic church. It's a gorgeous church. It's beautiful, (laughs) and it's such a cool thing. I would recommend looking looking at that if you're uh, listening here. Yeah, Babeville is is pretty cool. Obviously- I'm going to give her a half a point. That's how I feel. I'm okay with half a point, but I I think the things you said with her awards and her activism are awesome. But I yes. do think the personal activism from herself is also a, a strength. Very nice. And now it's time for us to move on to Question Mark and the Mysterians. Question Mark and the Mysterians are an, uh, an American garage rock band from Bay City and Saginaw in Michigan. And they have been active. They were initially active from 1962 to 1969, but also are active all the way through the present day in some form or other. And the three albums that we covered are 96 Tears, which came out in 1966, Action, which came out in 1967, and then More Action, which came out in 1999. Right. And And (laughs) it's your turn to start. It's my turn to start. (sighs) Okay. So this album was 29 minutes long. That's correct. And it was recorded... In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A fantastic city. And it is classified as garage rock. Mm-hmm. It is messy. Yeah. It's super messy. It's super like weirdly mixed at times. It sounds really sloppy all the way through. 
uh, Rudy Martinez <clears throat> is singing in the songs, and that is a correct statement. He is he is singing. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, uh, you're I, very factual I, today. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't love it. It it was a little too sloppy and messy for me. A little too adrift and listless. Uh, it wasn't necessarily bad, but this is a genre where there is so much material that sounds mm-hmm. very similar to this, but mm-hmm. a lot of it is cleaner and a little stronger vocally and musically. Sure. So this is just like a kind of bottom of the pack, average, but a bit below average, sloppy recording all the way through. Um, the one thing I will give them credit for is there's only one cover on this album. Uh, sure. There's a cover of Stormy Monday. But mm. other than that, all the songs are written by Rudy Martinez, uh, which is kind of rare for the mid-60s. And the type of music. And the doing. type of music. So that is something I will give them a thumbs up on. The writing is not something I'm giving them a thumbs up on. It's it's kind of mediocre, but at least they're doing yeah. it, which mm-hmm. uh, is rare for the time. Sure. This is probably an album that I would give a score of like a C minus to a C. Yeah. And that's it. So I will say this album is the answer to the question, what if the zombies were not nearly as good? That's, and, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty accurate. And yeah, the answer is question mark in the Mysterians uh, because it is like that sloppy garage rock that's like, it feels about the same as every other garage rock group at this time that had an organist. Sure, um, sure. And the organist is not a bad player. I mean, like, there are little moments here and there where you can tell these guys could actually jam a little bit. But overall, like you said, I mean, I I was very unimpressed uh, by the whole <laughs> right. record. Like, I, there was at no point, there were no songs where I was like, oh, this isn't good. Like, if you're in the right mood to listen to just some rocking out 60s music of this ilk, it's fine. But it wouldn't be the go-to either. And the title track is their big hit, like their big number one hit at the time. I knew that 96 Tears was a song, but I'd never actually heard it. Uh, right. And after listening to it, I was like, oh, this this was the one that was the number one hit for them? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which brings me into Action, uh, which has a few more covers on it. And anything that you might recognize here was definitely one of those. Um, the one thing that you'll hear and you'll probably be like, oh, yeah, I know that song. Uh, whether you know the original or any of the other recordings of it is Can't Get Enough of You, Baby. I can't get enough of you, baby. You baby. Yeah, exactly, which is very nice. Uh, they do a fine job with their version of it. Yeah, uh, I feel like they do a much less fine job with their version of Shout <laughs> Parts 1 and 2 by the Isley Brothers. Um, and there's, again, nothing that's particularly sticking out as bad about this group. But I'm also not impressed. And if I wanted to listen to this style of music, I would take a band that is just way more interesting to me in the zombies and go with them because that's the best comp. It's like, to me, this is just like a group of people who are just not as good as the zombies at any part of what they do. Right. So positives. Production value is up. Up. Way, way, way up. They they went to a studio Mm -hmm. this time. Yeah, well, when you have a number one hit, it's probably, you know, yeah. you get a little bit more investment in, in yourselves there. Yeah, they went to a definitive studio this time, which is great. I'm happy to hear that. 
Um, some other stuff about this album. It was 28 minutes long. Shaved a minute off yeah, that time. That was nice. And uh, it was recorded. <laughs> no, it's it's not that bad. It's um, No, it's not bad. I, I mean, I feel like I didn't think it was bad at all. It just wasn't good either. Yeah, it's just not good. And here's the thing. My my kind of my kind of emotions here. I was getting a little excited because the first song was decent. Uh, then I heard the cover of "Can't Get Enough You Baby." It was right. a good cover, mm-hmm. so I was like, "Okay, cool." They've incorporated more covers. That makes sense. Yep. Got to and I'll be back. The next two tracks were again decent, but that is better than I thought for the first album. This mm-hmm. album was on its way to getting probably closer to like a B for me. Not quite a B plus, but a B. Right. Shouts parts one and two just <laughs> fall so flat. It just falls so flat. The Isley Brothers are energy incarnate mm-hmm. when they're performing. And when we had when we discussed them on the show, that was the big thing. Is like that's why Shout is so big. You can hear that they are just so energetic and running and jumping and moving. Totally. I feel like maybe, maybe Rudy Martinez himself was trying to do that, but maybe had just woken up the rest of the band to record. <laughs> like that's the only like that's like it was just so flat and emotionless. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah. hey, just because the tempo was fast paced, that doesn't cover the fact that you need real emotion as well. Right. Uh and it and after that the rest of the songs were probably realistically the same quality as the ones before it, but my whole tonal emotion had changed with how just, ugh, like a real drop of the ball sure, on that cover. And I feel like that's the big risk you take when you do covers, because very rarely do you get a cover that fully is better than the original. Very rarely. Uh, and they're always compared. And at best, you get... That holds up to the original. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you never get like a moment where it's just like, I am blown away by this. Sure. But you definitely can get moments where you're like, that's trash. Why is that there? Yeah. And that maybe wouldn't come as clearly if you weren't being compared directly to another version of the same song. Right. So you really open yourself open. You really open yourself up for hypercriticism. Which they did not hold up to with that, with that one. No. So now I'll go into more action. And here's the very that. interesting thing about more action. It doesn't exist. It does not exist. Um, there's a cover of it that looks like it would exist, but it does not exist. Not anywhere that we could find it. Yeah, so basically this album was kind of a compilation album. It was... It, it, the the quote that it gives is, this album provides a summary of the band's initial tenure in the 1960s and also functions as a survey of the group's re-recordings of their recording history. And that's exactly what it is. like Along with a little bit of new material. Yeah, a little bit of new material, which I didn't get to. Um, I got, uh, the song that I got was Don't Give It Up Now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of these other ones was another hanging on a string, another 96 tears, another can't get enough yeah, of you, Yeah, most baby. of it was just like, covers, so, or, or, you know, the songs that they already performed. Yeah, it was it was mid. And here's yep. the problem. Here's the problem with it. I'm almost glad that it didn't exist, because I really was, like, c- 
kind of hesitant about the first two albums. You know, they both got first mm-hmm. album got like a C, C minus. The second album I'll give a C plus two. It was better, but it doesn't get a B. This yeah. album is over an hour long if it existed. That's true. And if I had to listen to a full hour of this, I would have been much less positive about this band, I yeah. think. Sure. I don't think there would have been a need to re- revisit all the songs that we just listened to on the albums before it if they're the same exact thing. But it, I would have been more interested to hear the songs that we didn't get to hear. And I was able to find right. a few of those titles on YouTube, but I didn't hear anything that was necessarily different uh, than what no, we got on the I first two records from that. With the lone exception being since they did have a recorded version of Satisfaction, uh, I found one live 14-minute version recorded on a cell phone, which I could not get all the way through. <laughs> the The quality was just so horrifically bad uh, that I gave up. But good for them that they were still playing and together in yeah. recent days. And let's just grade them. Let's grade them. I'm going to give them a one point for Cultural Impact because they, they are a one Hold on. Wonder. Hold on. I don't know about that. Do you have another hit by them? No, oh, like I don't think. For? I mean, they're they're a hit. How much of a hit is it? It was a number one hit. It was a number one hit. What does that mean? It was a number one hit. It it was num. It was the number one most played song, I guess, in the United States for whatever amount of time it was on the charts. How long? I mean, I've seen it referenced many times before. Like I knew the song existed well before I ever actually listened to it. Uh, yeah i'm uh, surprised you weren't familiar with it i was gonna say like i think there's like 13 different stephen king books that either quote that song or mention it being played on the radio like it's in almost all of his books listen i'm positive that i've i'm pretty sure that's the reason why i know what it was i'm sure i've read the title but like here's my thing i don't know i don't think we could it's so hard to judge a one hit wonder i mean if they have their one hit and it was number one on the charts that's what it is like because how are we supposed to judge a one hit wonder from 1998 when maybe 50 years from now people will be like what are you talking about well it was still number one and it was still extremely popular at the time fine they get a one i'll give them a one yeah i mean they're not gonna do well with the rest of this so let's just cut them a break <laughs> fine. uh and th- Here's the thing. I'm going to give them credit for two albums. Like, they have four albums, but the second two albums are literally just re-recording everything that was on the first two albums. Yeah. I'm giving them credit for two albums. Sure. Which is 1.6 points. They do not have sales, which means they're down to a 1.1 at best. Yep. Um. I would be okay to leave them at a 1.1, because like you said, I would also probably grade them out at like a C, which to me is... Nothing was so bad that I would take points away. Nothing was so good that I would add anything. 1.1 for me. A 1.1 is good. Excellent. Um, I award them In terms of instrumental talent, (laughs) it it was unimpressive. Like you said, it was very sloppy. I I don't even think they were bad, but it was just like clearly they didn't necessarily take their time with this. Um, Right. It just felt like a jam on a lot of the songs. And not that they were bad players, but it was just okay. There, it was everybody a jam, else at the time, but nobody was on the same page. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm below average, is what I'm saying, but I'm not like super below average. I'm in the fours. I could be in the fours. because no one was incompetent at what they did. Here's here's what I'm gonna say. If I'm in the fours, I'm a four five is my ceiling. Uh, that's fine. Uh, like a four four is good. I'm okay with. I don't a four, think four. they need to go any. And I'll tell that. you, I'll move on to the next one here. Songwriting. Yeah. It's not. It's great. not good. It's it's low. It's another it's another category that 
is below average, but here's the problem. Everyone in this time period was writing songs like this, so they mm-hmm. don't stand out like that. The songs feel rather simple. They don't hold up to the covers. Even their versions of the covers fell flat. I'm probably like a exception. four even at best, and I'm because so, there's only two albums, I'm closer there's only two to like, a, like, a, like a, a one. one. Yeah, that's where I am too. Uh, and I don't feel any differently about Poetic Talent. I would probably give them another one and move on. Yep, that's fine. All right. Do you X have Factor. X Factor for me? Oh, do I? What if I were to tell you? you that their label, on. Cameo uh-huh. Parkway, was shut down for stock manipulation <laughs> by the Securities and Exchange Commission? And they took the that band's would money explain. and contract with them. That would explain why they re-recorded all their material. That would explain it, a lot, honestly. Yeah. That's exactly probably what happened. They pulled a T-Swift? Um, yeah, I guess Before T-Swift? Because so, they needed to get access to their uh, their recordings again, and they, they couldn't uh, get access to, to the ownership of, of that. So Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Great. I will give them... I would go as high as a point one and as low as a zero. Oh, gosh. Uh, that's... So you're you're the final decision here, my friend. Let's give them the point one because we really Excellent. just crucified them for most of this. We did, and they're not bad guys. They're not. They're not. Go. It's just it's dime a dozen, but like the lower end of dime a dozen. Yeah, I agree. All right, let us move on to Dream Theater. Dream Theater is an American progressive metal band formed in 1985 under the name Majesty by John Petrucci. John Myung, and Mike Portnoy, while they attended Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts. And they have been active since 1985 all the way to the present day. We uh, we decided this time to do three albums, I think. Yeah, that, that, that sounds right. Yeah, that made sense. So we started with When Dream and Day Unite from 1989. We followed that up with Images and Words from 1992. And then we wrapped it up with a view from the top of the world from 2021. And my friend, you are first. Oh, thank you. I would love to go first. So when Dream and Day Unite, I don't know about you, uh, but this is not available on Apple Music. No. Um, So I had to dig it up on YouTube, which is kind of surprising to me. Um, I don't know if it was just like a label thing and they had issues with that and, and rights and whatnot. Because this is definitely not like a let's hide it first album because they knew what their brand was and all that right away. Um, And even though this album is usually classified as one of the weaker ones in their discography um, and kind of talked about as like a band that was still trying to fully find themselves. I think they were more of the way there than not on this first record. I mean, they definitely had parts of their identity um, that were made clear. And, I mean, the talent that these guys have, the absolute chops that all of the members of this band have are really strong. I mean, all of these guys can just, like, absolutely kill it at what they're doing. I really enjoyed everything about this. I love the instrumental piece. I think they really showed off um, some excellent performance on that one. It's the, I don't know how to pronounce the word, which is why I'm avoiding saying it, like the Itsy Jam. Uh, it's Y-T-S-E, so whoever knows how to pronounce that. But look, these guys have chops. I really enjoyed this whole record. I mean, I know it, it, it was also bashed a little bit for production values, and it's not as strong of a production value as some of their other stuff, for sure. 
but there's nothing not to enjoy about the quality of the music. Uh, I think, and I, anyone who listens to this podcast knows, not really big on the whole metal thing. Usually that doesn't do well here. That's true. These guys are fantastic. They have a great way of like being in the metal community, but also being prog, but also being just like super accessible, like really wonderful melodies. Uh, there is uh, good vocal stuff going on here as well as strong musicianship. So I have no bad things to say about this first record. Yeah, listen, I agree with a lot of what you're saying here. Um, I also had trouble finding this album. Uh, I mm-hmm. looked on Spotify and Amazon Music, neither of which are sponsors, neither is Apple Music, um, and did find it on YouTube, also not a sponsor. <laughs> and uh, something I did find interesting just now, this album was recorded in Gladwin, Pennsylvania, so just yeah, like Question not, Mark not and the Mysterians, far. having some recorded stuff in Pennsylvania. Let's go. Interesting. Good for them. Absolutely. Uh, this album, I think, was an interesting listen, a good listen. It showcased the chops of, and the prowess of the various members of this band. Now, this was with their original lead singer, Charlie Dominici. Right, and, and the only album that he would appear on. The only album that he's on. And he's a good vocalist. He's strong. He's got a really, oh, yeah. a really wide range, really good power behind his voice. Uh, probably up to this point, the strongest vocalist we've heard uh, so far on the album, mm-hmm. or on the podcast, I mean. Um, on this episode, sorry. On yep. this episode. Not on the whole podcast. No, right. On this episode. I knew what you meant. Uh, and I really think that even though they're, you know, I want to say they're a bit younger, but they're really not by the time this album comes out. I mean, they're they're in their later 20s, I think. That sounds about right. So, And, and you could tell that this is an album that is more cohesive than the debut album of a lot of younger people. Um, mm-hmm. This is a band that knows what they're doing. Yeah. And it's really good stuff. I mean, I think there's some complex complexity involved, but Nick, you said the word approachable, which I couldn't agree with more. Mm-hmm. I think that they have melodies and harmonies involved that sound a little uh, simpler than they are in a good okay, way. Because yeah. uh, I think that's what really adds their approachability is yes, there's sometimes there's a little bit of craziness happening behind them, but there's a calming presence in the vocal and in the harmony where it's like, I know what these are supposed to sound like, and they do a good job. So all in all, like this was a good listen for me. Uh, I did get a little bit of issues with the production value. It's a little bit lower than yeah. expected, but here's the well, thing. We'll hear, yeah. I also came right off of question mark the Mysterians. So I barely noticed a difference. Like, sure. I barely noticed a problem mm-hmm. because I was coming from almost bad recording in the very beginning and kind of yeah. topping out at mediocre recording. Right. And then I went to this, which is objectively a, a semi-poor recording quality, but way better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll take us into images and words. And with images and words, it's interesting how different yet the same this is. Uh, the big thing is there's a huge uptick in production quality. This album feels cleaner, feels crisper to the ear. Um, and it has uh, still a lot of those moments of overarching sound and overarching melody uh, with a simplicity underneath it. And what I love, they're, they're classified as progressive metal. Yeah. But there are definite moments on this album that are slow, that are almost ballady in moments that really open things up a softer vocal at mm-hmm. times and 
that is not something I was expecting. I think that's a lot of the issue that I have with metal is a lot of times it's just always at a 10. Always yeah, at a 10. Right. And I think this album maybe never hits a 10 in terms yeah, of intensity. They really, ex- they really explore the dynamics with every contributor. Yeah, you know, I would, like I everybody gets to explore a full range of, of sound and volume. I would classify this album, like personally in my own brain, it feels better to me if I classify this as like, oh, this is like a progressive hard rock album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily progressive metal, progressive hard rock. It pulls from the same the same classical elements as a typical progressive album. I think they do a really good job. I think James Labrie is a very good vocalist. Oh yeah. He is the, officially the best vocalist we hear it on the podcast. Officially. <laughs> uh, today like he Definitely. is a stronger vocalist than Charlie Domenici. Uh they did a really good job with him. I think that uh you get really good moments from each person. John Petrucci with the guitar, uh Kevin Moore on the keyboard. Finding him was incredible. I think he has yeah, a whole well, lot. Well, he doesn't last for very long. I know, but I think finding him I mean, when Jordan they did was incredible. Jordan certainly know. Yeah, and then uh, obviously Mike Portnoy on the drums. Mike Portnoy is known as a very strong drummer. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. So I think each individual part, and then, of course, Tommy Young on the bass. Right. Each individual part really holds their own. It sounds really good. Um, I know that I have had my issues with progressive rock on this al- podcast, which, you know, I stand by, but I think this album... Does it, it doesn't have any of those issues that I have. They do focus on every instrument individually, including the vocals. They're not just mm-hmm. cast off to the side. Their messages are strong, but they also have... They never feel full of themselves. They never Agreed. feel like they're just like, they're doing it to do it. They feel like they're doing it to put forth a good product. And Agreed. I think that's the mindset that I really approve of. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, this is an excellent record uh, from beginning to end. Every... Sh- song is very strong every composition is really interesting and dynamic every composition gives you uh, a really nice mixture of i mean virtuosic talent on the on the part of all these musicians vocalist included uh, as well as sometimes metal things you'll get heavy sections sometimes very progressive things you'll get a lot of changing uh tempos and time signatures and, and parts like that uh and I, I mean i just have no negatives to a group like this because you know a lot of metal bands get stuck even if they're really talented musicians kind of get stuck in a well we're metal so all of our songs have to have the thing going on right and even when dream theater kind of takes like a little foray into that territory they'll just like slightly mess with the rhythm of it so that it's like just off from what you expect. And then that will just be a part in a section and they'll open up the song completely from there and it'll go in a completely different direction two minutes later from that. Uh, and they it never feels wrong. Like they're exploring the space and doing so much with each individual song. Uh, it's just an immensely talented group for both musicians and as songwriters. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm on my way to a view from the top of the world. But I need to stop and I need to tell you about something, Pat. Okay, um, okay. I go. mentioned this to Alex earlier. So uh, James Labrie and uh, John Myung were both in a very obscure super group that only put out two records with like slightly different lineups each time. Uh, it was called Explorers Club. 
And they both played on an album called Raising the Mammoth by Explorers Club, which also features Steve Walsh and Carrie Livgren from Kansas. Oh, interesting. And, and Terry Bozio on the drums. What? It's a really interesting record. Yeah, you would never guess. And it came out uh, in 2002. So uh, it also features Marty Friedman, the guitarist from Megadeth. Uh, it's like super interesting. I listened to it this morning. It's worth just listening to a little bit just to kind of hear the experiment of all those guys working together. Um, yeah. But it does exist. Wow, I'm looking it at these exist. members of this. Uh-huh. It's pretty cool, right? Steve Howe? Interesting. And yeah, in the first on the first album, uh, John Petrucci was involved, and yeah. Steve Howe was also involved, but not... Um, not all together, uh, but Grin and Walsh from Kansas. Yeah. Yep. It's a very interesting group. But anyway, yeah. now I move on to A View from the Top of the World. And because of the other albums that we have selected here, we're about 30 years into the future. Uh, Roughly, yeah. Yeah. And let me tell you, these guys have not lost a step, man. Uh, this album kicks off with a song called The Alien, which uh, won the 2022 Grammy for Best Metal Performance. Deservedly so. Uh, a really great record. I mean, all of the performances on all these songs were just top-notch again like everything that i loved about images and words continues to come through here i didn't feel like there was a drop off in the quality of the songwriting i didn't feel like there was a drop off in the quality of the performances i mean the only performance i think that you might expect a drop off on here is vocals because otherwise these musicians are just continuing to to practice and get right. better and better but labrie still sounds really great um Deeper. so this yeah, deeper, but it has a, a really strong voice still. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it is that this was a, a pandemic album for them. So maybe they, they took a little bit more time off and they're like, well, we don't have anything else to do. So let's really just kind of sit down and focus and try to put out some of the best work we've put out in a while. And I think it worked out really well for them because uh, as far as I'm concerned, like not necessarily knowing every album in between, this seems almost as strong as ever uh, for a group that was already really strong and doing everything right. Okay, so um, some interesting things about this album before I really get into my opinions of it. I thought this was really interesting. So they recorded this album. Uh, they started writing it and recording it during COVID, right, obviously right. based on when it came out. And so what happened was four of the five members wrote together in studio, and James Labrie was contributing via Zoom meetings from Canada because he's from Canada. Sure. And he didn't want to risk, like, at this point, they're recording in, like, New York. Right. They're in a studio in New York, which, if you recall, was ravaged in the beginning of the pandemic. So he yeah. didn't want any compromising of his voice because they were going to be recording and then touring and all this, you know, at the point. They end up having to cancel the tour, obviously. Yeah. Because everybody in 2020 had to cancel tours and 2021 had to cancel tours, basically. But... Um, yeah, that's, that's what happened is he like, just like literally everybody else in 2020 dream theater that like this mega band was zooming in <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to write this album, mm -hmm. uh, about the album. I think for me personally, it's not quite as strong. It holds a lot of it. It holds a lot of the same weight to me and, and, and don't mistake me musically really enjoy it I, like each individual player and and labrie still has it absolutely 
as we mentioned, I don't hear any degradation, just a little bit of maturing of the voice. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit, you know, in a lower register, but still very talented. I just think this album starts to tiptoe that line for me of like a little too hardcore metal for me at times. Like, I feel like the drum beats are a little more punchy. A little, and I think that just might be this is the one that like this has uh, uh, Mike Mangini instead Mike of Mike Portnoy. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it could just be that simple that of like style. a different style of drummer. Um, it just feels less open, a little more pushing. And I think I'm hearing a little more of like that distorted metal guitar at times. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more like this is an album where it's like, oh, I mentioned the last one felt like progressive hard rock. Yeah. This is progressive metal. And I think mm-hmm. it's just a little too metal for me to really love as much as I love the last album and even, you know, the first album. Sure. It's, again, not bad. Like, the writing is still as strong as ever and everything. But if I'm going to nitpick, that's my nitpick. It feels a little too hardcore at times. This is probably, like, you know, if we're if we're doing that grading thing again, like a B plus for me. Which is a bad place. Not a bad place to bottom out. Right. <laughs> uh, so let's grade them. Okay. Um, so I would say we're going to, this is probably our biggest act of the day. Yes, um, I would agree with you. In the metal community, they are definitely one of the biggest acts of the last 30 years. Right. Um, they are definitely one, like a flagship artist for progressive metal. Uh, probably as influential as almost anybody, like Tool is the other, maybe Queensryche are the other bands that, that kind of hold the similar clout to Dream Theater in that in that area. I don't know. I mean, like... I think it's not, it's certainly not a low score, but it's just a genre that is never going to be mainstreamed. Um, So it's not like necessarily a high score to me either, even though they're like so huge within what it is they do. I don't know where that puts you. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a decent score. Uh, The question is, let's start with the threshold here. Are we above average? I could, I mean... So that's a I don't no. Know You're that not we are. above that. I don't. I don't. Which is fine. I really, really like this band, but I don't know that like anyone on the street could name a Dream Theater song. I don't think they could. Yeah. And I think that's the like, thing. I think they're I think all they're a musicians band. They're all influence and, and not an influential, as much. But not. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think that's totally fine. I. But think, I still think they should get like in between a three and a four, maybe. Sure, between a three and a four is great. Why don't we give them right between a three and a four, three point five? Excellent. Uh, breadth of work. We are looking at 15 studio albums. We're looking at, uh, while one of them has gone gold in the United States, I think we're looking at around 12 million in overall sales. Okay. So I don't know if that means we necessarily still dock them. It's up to you. I'll let you make the call. Only one certification. In the United States. A few in Japan. And one in the, the Netherlands, I think. Let me let me take a look here. Let me let me yeah, look. I mean they were consistently selling like over a hundred thousand records on a lot of their discography, but I mean that's it adds up, but it's it, if you wanted to dock them a little bit still for not quite hitting higher than that, you know. Yeah. I mean it can't it I would say if we're knocking them, it's barely because to have twelve million in total sales is still better than most artists. Twelve million in total do. sales is still really good. See, I wish. Mm, I know the recording. Yeah, I know Japan's threshold's so low for a gold. It's a it's a hundred thousand. Yeah, 
Which is not so low. I mean, Japan is a, a relatively populated country. Right, but I'm saying in comparison to the, to the United States, which to, is 500,000. Comparison to the United States, right. That's what I mean. Um, let's keep them. Let's give them. Let's, let's not dock them. Okay. All right, we're going to keep them. And then 15, so 15 albums has them starting off right at a 6.1. I'm going to take them to a 6.5. I, I think this is just incredibly high-quality stuff. Okay, so you're going to take them to a 6.5, so you're going to give them four points. A point four, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. I do. Uh, not enough to match you. Sure. Uh, again, I had a little bit of issue with the last album. Not a lot, but, and then that coupled with the recording quality of the first one, I'll give them three. No, I'll give them two. Okay. So we'll so give 6. them a six, seven. seven. All right. Instrumental talent. I'm going to say right here, this is going to be their highest score of the day. I would agree. I don't know that we've covered another artist on the podcast that is as strong a group of musicians as Dream Theater is. Through five seasons, in terms of the overall talent of each member of the band, Dream Theater is like in the discussion for the most musically accomplished group uh, that we've discussed on the show. I don't think there's a way around I think they're one of the most complete bands. For sure. Top to bottom. It doesn't feel like there's a huge drop-off in any category. It doesn't feel like they have to cover for anyone. No. And because they really showcase their vocalist, it doesn't feel like anything is mm-hmm. thrown to the wayside like you get with some other prog yeah. artists. Sure. I feel like everybody is showcased in some way, shape, or form on I over the I do too, of the but I'm saying like yeah. in other prog albums, everybody oh, yeah, yeah. else is, no, no, no. and then the I vocalist was just, just kind of shows up. Yeah. I was just in additioning uh, right, I'm to with your you. point. Like they're all like John Petrucci is obviously <laughs> just like a guitar god. Like I don't know the what man. Is doing, is, but I love it. <laughs> I do too. But I mean Petrucci like he might have the fastest right hand in the history of guitar. He's sure. up there, man. He's so good. I mean it's impossible for this number not to be at least in the nines. It would just I'm, be impossible. I'm comfortable with it being in the nines. Now, I'm I'm a little hesitant when we get up here because when you're up here you're in a very rarefied air. And I think Dream Theater truly is one of the the great musicians bands that we'll ever hear sure sure i'm just saying <laughs> yeah i mean yeah look they are amongst the best of the best alex is compa- is is naming a bunch of prog singers which i get yes but i'm saying there is also a lot of other prog where the singers are not showcased which is what i was referencing sure. just yeah, like no, our most fine. recent uh prog band we did which was eloy right correct <laughs> so <laughs> one of the bands that have ever existed yeah. Uh, and listen, I do not hate Prague, as Alex has mentioned. We know. I don't hate Prague. I think there was a tendency before on the podcast to maybe over, over rank Prague at times, which was frustrating. Um, I don't think this is even arguably one of those cases of of a band being overrated in terms of I don't either. Okay, good. I don't either. I'm comfortable giving them in the nines. Again, you know, we'll have to figure out the exact number here. Where are you feeling in the nines? I mean, I th- think that these these members are all pretty much virtu- virtuosic in terms of talent. I know you like to often shave a few points for turnover, and there definitely has been a little bit of that throughout. Alex is saying a 9.7. I would say at least probably around a 9.5, but I'd be comfortable with a 9.7. Uh, I was thinking around a 9.5, which would, let's just give them the 9.6 then. Excellent. Uh, Songwriting. We're not in the 9.6 territory? No. 
but we're definitely in the above average territory. I mean, these compositions are super interesting, dynamic, and complex. It's out of 10. Um, so, again, I like I'm a couple of points over the average. I think a group that is this dynamic has to at least be in the sevens. Um, it, I, I would have a hard time going lower. I mean, they, they just every composition uh, feels super dynamic and interesting and melodic. Sure, absolutely. Um, uh, so. to to Alex's yeah. point here, I would definitely agree uh, with the with the keyboardist. Yeah, I mean every and yeah, every member of, of the band. The yeah, every member yeah, of the every band. member of the band is is virtuosic. Portnoy's yeah. not in the band. We anymore. all agree on that. Portnoy is not in the band anymore, but still, Labrie yeah, is amazing. All, and I mean, to be fair, tier. we gave them one of the, the definite highest score of the season so far, probably at all. I can't imagine a band getting a higher score than than they did and anytime. Arguably, anytime an instrumental talent. Maybe the highest, one of the highest scores we've ever given. Oh, for so sure. So I think it, you know it deserves to be amongst the highest. Some ever. of the some of the negatives here because we'll, we'll discuss it, but just to just to battle back against the chat here, um, some of the some of the stuff is the turnover is one thing. Uh, I definitely think there was an uptick for Labrie, but you know Charlie Domenici was a was really good, but I would not categorize him in that same level of virtuosic singer that I would Labrie. Um, I think. For me, honestly, the jury's out on Mangini versus Portnoy. Like, I think Portnoy not was a, a, not was, enough of a sample size. Portnoy, Portnoy was really good. I really enjoyed his drumming. Portnoy is fantastic. And I think that from my experience with Mangini on that most recent album, it it wasn't quite as strong. It was a little too medley for me personally. And these are some of the things that would subtract, you know, small decimal points from the nine point nine you want to give them to a nine point six, which is still okay. incredibly high. <laughs> yes. Um, now, yeah. I in this Can category here, score? I definitely am out in the nines. Uh, are you in? The, you said you were. I definitely have to be. I, like my my floor is in the sevens. Sure. Um, uh, now I'm I'm so fine in at, the yeah. sevens. I'm glad you said the sevens. I wasn't quite in the eights for this because I think that eights and above is very very consistent. Great, and I think this is very very consistent. Good to great all the way through, and I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it, and I'm probably like a 7.9. And I will gladly meet you there. Uh, and po for as far as Poetic Town goes, I think it's above average, but I don't think it is in the same category as the last no. things we, we discussed. Definitely not. I think that this is the only thing where the lyrics aren't super focused on a lot of the time. I think that there's some emotion in their lyrics. I really like I really like that they are uh they're able to write lyrics that kind of feel a little cliche at times but don't ever feel cheesy. Yeah, they and avoid the cheese. Uh, they avoid the cheese and the schmaltz and the schmooze and they avoid the evocative imagery that a lot of metal will mm -hmm. will give you and and I really appreciate that specifically sure. because so often like a metal band is just like like Danzig where it's like yeah. I am a band that's like metalish so therefore devil demons spawn and it's yeah. like cool man there's like way more to the world than that though I agree like <laughs> give me something I can relate to and I think Dream Theater does that um I'm probably in like the high fives though realistically I would agree with you probably I like totally a five agree. seven and I think that's a good place for them uh the only question I have left then is do we have any X Factor here? I was looking for X Factor. I don't necessarily see anything mm -hmm. that would jump out at me as giving them X Factor points. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm we not discuss sure their be. awards and things in their cultural mm-hmm. impact. One thing I do, you know what? This might be worth something. All right, something ahead. that uh, Dream Theater does, which I find very interesting, is they're really big in their own like bootleg culture. Oh, uh, okay. So they're releasing. They release like, like a bunch of official bootlegs and demos and super so rare like things fish. through uh, Yeetzee Jam Records, if that's if we're pronouncing it like that. I'm not quite sure. Right. Um, the one thing that they're doing is the Lost Not Forgotten archives, which reissues all of uh, like a lot of their main titles. So like instrumental stuff, they're doing live versions um, of albums. Mm. They're doing cover out, like they're doing all these things. Uh, and releasing them as like bootlegs. Oh, oh, they they did a full cover of Made in Japan by Deep Purple. Yeah, they did Dark Side of the Moon. I was I was like oh I was like God. how did you say Made in Japan when Dark Side's right above them? I yeah, uh, I was uh, looking from the bottom <laughs> up. Okay, so I'm interested. I'm gonna go listen stuff. to those. Um, really cool stuff out of that. I don't know. It might be worth like a point one. Yeah, because I don't I don't know of another artist that's really that. Involved in their own bootleg scene. Cool. Fish. I said it several times. Fish. Yeah. Like literally officially releases all their concerts, essentially. Okay. I understand, Nick, but uh, you had already mentioned Fish, so I was saying I don't know of another band. Mm-hmm. You absolute buffoon. How dare you? What about Fish? Oh, yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, like Fish. Okay. okay, good. Now I have final scores for you, sir. Okay. And here they are. And they are as follows. In third place this week... You loser. Uh, with an, a wonderful, uh, groundbreaking 8.6 oh. is Question Mark and the Mysterians. Okay. Okay. Yep. They nearly tied for first with our winning group this week. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Which was Dream Theater with a 33.7. Wow. Okay. Yes. And Ani DeFranco, 29 so a very strong showing in second place. Yeah, honestly, I was, I was, who have not done the math in my own head. I was like, oh, it's really anybody's game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, two very strong showings. It really here. just sounds and like then, the the cultural impact. Yeah, I was gonna say question mark in the Mysterians also played. <laughs> they did. They did also play. <laughs> they also played. Oh uh, well, that's gonna so wrap us that. up, guys. That's uh that's another I would think successful episode of Totem Talks. A really interesting listening week. Uh, definitely enjoyed more than I didn't enjoy, which is oh, always sure. the bar that I set here. Is I just want to, I want to enjoy more than I don't, Agreed. and I think that I really, I really liked a lot of listening this week. Uh, and you can tune in next week where when we're we will going be to listen to Stephanie Lynn Nix. Yep, there we go. Also known as Stephen Stephen Nix. Stephen Nix, yes. Yeah, Stephen, you know, that's 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 the correct pronunciation. Yeah. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, uh, yeah so that's going to be another interesting one, as always. A uh, big thank you to everybody who tuned in to the live version. And if you're not watching, why not? Come hang out with us, usually Thursdays, sometimes not Thursdays. But you will always find out if you follow our Twitch, twitch.tv slash totemtalks. Whenever we surprise live, you'll get that notification, and you can be like, whoa, Good thing cool, I know what I'm doing with my day. Right, the whole day. <laughs> the whole day, every minute of every day. Uh, big thank you for everybody who was active, and uh, hopefully yeah. you all will uh, enjoy our archives, check out our year in music, all that fun stuff. 
Our Year in Music uh, is a series we're doing about the year 1967. Mm-hmm. We're releasing one a month, uh, co- coinciding with the month of that year, as it pertains to music and whatnot. And yes. it's, uh, it's a blast to do. And uh, make sure you're liking, commenting, subscribing, all that fun stuff as we continue to pump out more episodes for you. And uh, make sure more than anything, you, as you go on this musical journey with us, you have a great day. <laughs>